You're listening to The Higher Ed Marketer, a podcast geared towards marketing professionals in higher education. This show will tackle all sorts of questions related to student recruitment, donor relations, marketing trends, new technologies, and so much more. If you're looking for conversations centered around where the industry is going, this podcast is for you. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the Higher Ed Marketer Podcast. My name is Troy Singer. As always, I'm here with Bart Kaler, a project partner, friend, and mentor. Each week, we invite marketers that we admire or sometimes that are recommended to us and have wonderful conversations that the rest of the marketing community can hopefully benefit, learn from, and be a little entertained. Today, we get all three. We're talking to Cutler Andrews. He is the Senior Associate VP for Engagement, Communications, and Marketing at Emory University. Cutler is energetic. He's super smart. And you can see the reason why he leads this advancement and marketing team at Emory. He gives a lot of information, and I can't wait for our listeners to benefit from the information that he shared. Yeah, it's such a great podcast. I've really enjoyed getting to know Cutler over these last couple episodes that we've talked to him and, and meetings that we've had. Uh, he is very smart, and he goes into a lot of details about how Emory, you know, a large R1 institution, how they are using storytelling, how they're using content, the ways that they're thinking about that through their personas, and, and even down to the point of maybe even some of the uh, the emotions around that, the empathy that they try to look at when they um, when they are putting that content together. So a lot of really practical, pragmatic things. And and keep in mind, too, a lot of this applies regardless if you're a, a big school like Emory or if you're a small, uh, tiny micro college, which is a new term I learned this week. Uh, those types of things are going to apply to you regardless. And so uh, a lot of really good uh, things to talk about it today. I'm happy and proud to bring our conversation to you with Cutler Andrews. Cutler, we're excited to have the conversation about Emory, excited to have the conversation with you about what you're doing. But before we get into it, we always like to start our conversations off with our guests and ask them if there's something that interesting or something that you've learned this week that you could share. Yeah, it was. I was traveling this week visiting uh, alumni and some of our, our volunteer leaders up in New York this week. And it was a really good reminder as somebody who sits back here in the office a lot as a marketer and a communicator of the need and the value of actually being out in the field. Mm. I think oftentimes what we do is we look at data, we look at analytics, we look at you know click-throughs and open rates, and we, we analyze it from that standpoint, but actually sit down with somebody who's receiving your content and who's experiencing it from that standpoint. I, I sometimes forget the value of that. Uh, and it was extremely eye-opening this week to be able to do that, to talk through, you know, what does Emory feel like and look like to you from a marketing and communication standpoint? And what are the things that we can do better? And to be willing to actually listen and to, to make those changes. And so it, it reminded me that I need to do it more and not sit behind the screen and to really, I mean, communication and marketing is two ways. And if we don't have the mechanism for feedback and return, we're not going to be able to build value and make the changes that, we're, that we need to make. Cutler, I assume that most people know Emory, but if you would, high level, can you give us a brief description of Emory? 
We are a, a research one university, so we have a nine schools within the institution, about a mix of undergraduate and graduate uh, overall. We have a really large academic medical center as well. We're d- division three, so we have a, we have a strong athletics, but they're division three athletics. So it's mm-hmm. not the tail that wags the dog here. Um, and it is a it's a fascinating it's a top twenty five institution. Some absolutely incredible research, incredible students and faculty to come out of here as well. Um, as folks know, it's in Atlanta, so we're in this kind of epicenter of 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 commerce and travel and research with the CDC almost sitting right on our campus. So it's a really unique institution from that standpoint. Thank you. And at the beginning of the intro, I did say your title, but if you could, for context, tell everyone what rolls up through you. Yeah. So in my area, I oversee uh, our, the Emory Alumni Association, all alumni engagement on that side. We also have a, a team that's called Marketing and Donor Participation, which is um, com- comprised of our marketing and communications team. Overall, of our, our creative team, our content strategist, we have a multimedia team, as well as from a traditional standpoint, annual giving teams that focus on the university, but also focus on the, the academic medical center side of the house as well. We manage most of the primary events for the university. Also, everything from homecoming to commencement, everything and kind of in the mix there overall. And we also have donor relations and a large project management team. That's pretty cool. Thank you for sharing all that, Cutler. And I, I know that when we had our pre-interview and we were talking about some different ideas and, and things to talk about, with all of those teams reporting up to you, and, and I really loved your interview question at the very beginning about what you've learned and the importance of that two-way feedback, making content digestible, and I'm sure that's part of what, you know, when you have that feedback, you know that it's digestible because they are responding back to you and what you said. Um, let's talk about that a little bit because, I mean, the idea of of all those different departments coming up, there's a lot of content that's coming out of out of out of where you're where you're sitting, what you're doing, and um, you know making that digestible and and I might even say you know intriguing or educational or entertaining is a big responsibility, especially in today's marketing world where content is kind of kind of the king right now, and it will be for a while. So let's talk a little bit about that. How how are you guys really focused on that, and what's your thinking around that idea? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because when I think about content, I think about it in probably in a really broad sense. I mean, I, I think about the events that we do as content. I think about kind of an annual giving letter from a social media post. All of it is content for us. And, you know, for us, we, we start from the perspective of the audience. And again, we don't always get it right. Mm-hmm. It is, but at the core, we're trying to, you know, in a design thinking terms, we're trying to empathize with the audience. And understand outside of the context of Emory, what's important to them. I think oftentimes there's a trap in in our industry is that their institution, their alma mater is the most important thing in their lives. It's not. I mean, sorry, they they spent four to six years, however amount of time here. And there's a lot of other things that we have to be cognizant of when when we build that content out. We have to understand what channels they're using. We have to understand what their interests are. Um, we have to make sure we're kind of meeting them where they're at. We have certain things that we're really focused on talking about. It doesn't mean they want to hear it. Right. And I have to somehow kind of, it's, it's a negotiation. I've got to kind of get them interested in certain things. So almost, I, I hate to say it like we're going to come almost clickbait. Like what is going to, 
get, garner their attention in order to get them to hear the other things that we want to talk about. Right. And so we constantly look at it when we think we press or, or we challenge ourselves around the channels that we use, the length of content, um, the messages that we do. Do we, we, we use analytics on the front end to kind of build out the strategy, but then we also use pretty significant reporting and analysis on the back end to understand was it effective or not. Right. And like I said earlier, it's part of it is, is going out and just talking to people. I mean, right. it's great. I can look at all the data, but I can also hear their ideas. It's that mix of qualitative and quantitative data that's, that's critically important. We've leaned more heavily into visual content. You know, universities are really good at long form written content. Right. We're not always great at taking that and digesting it down. I mean, I think a, a core responsibility of what we have is to make complex thoughts and, and concepts digestible to a larger audience. Yeah, it's kind of like that idea of, you know, taking the alumni magazine and turning it into a YouTube short. I mean, there's a big, big difference in that, but that takes a real skill to be able to do that. And I think that's, uh, that's something to consider. So as I think about, um, you know, what you guys are doing, I'm guessing, and, and this is where I'd like to kind of tease out the conversation a little bit. So many times we talk about the importance of personas and starting with that. And I know that for you guys, I mean, big institution, you know, a lot of different schools, a lot of different paths through that, a lot of things that different. And so tell me a little bit about how you guys are really looking at that alumni persona, because it's not just one persona. That's correct. I mean, and, and really, so we did a, a formalized persona project here. So we, you know, we did surveys, we did focus groups, we took analytics and we built out, ended up, we, we, we took about, you know, 35 clusters down to seven personas. And what we talk about with personas is personas are they're just a tool. They're right. they're not your end all be all to this. And so I have to take a persona data, overlay it with school data, um, action data. You know what are what else are they? How are they interacting with us? So if I can say the Robert over here and the persona is all these other things, but then I have to overlay all of these other data points into that. And really, where the personas have been valuable is slowing us down. Hmm. I think we talked last time around kind of one of the quotes from Cars. Being, you, you know, you sometimes have to you know, slow down to speed up. And that's, it's a struggle for us because the amount of content that we have to produce, um, we have deadlines for everything. It's not like I can move homecoming or I can move a campaign. Right. I have to get to that point and taking extra time on the front end to really empathize with the audience and think through this persona. Sometimes the easiest phase to skip because we just want to go right to design and right to writing based on what we know. So that's where it's, I think, been the most valuable tool for us it is a moment to pause and a mm -hmm. moment to think and a moment to kind of challenge our own assumptions. Mm -hmm. I like that. And I like the fact that you talked about those overlays because I can think about you might have an alumni of the medical center and medical school who also is a legacy parent. And so now all that changes that that relationship just just from that legacy layer. And so I'm sure that's part of that persona exercise is recognizing that there's there's a lot more to it than just the poster on the wall that you put together in the exercise. Exactly. And we have cards that we have that are made up of the different personas. But to your point, like, unless you really think about the complexity of each person, they're still humans. Right. You know, we have to acknowledge that, you know, we're humans in our, and we're multidimensional and you, they don't want to fit us into a box. Same other people we're trying to talk to and communicate with. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Today's podcast is brought to you by Spoke Note, the simple way to add video to anything. 
you're looking for an innovative, effective way to get someone's attention, you really ought to check out Spokenote. They make these easy to use QR code stickers that allow you to record and share personalized videos with anybody. We're seeing Spokenote stickers used on campuses in some really interesting ways, such as outreach to prospective students, maybe through acceptance letters, welcome messages from student ambassadors during the campus visit and orientation, student life applications like placing about me videos outside a dorm room, even personalized fundraising appeals from the development office and athletic recruiting videos from coaches. The applications for Spokenote in and out of education are really endless. Try them out today by placing an order at Spokenote.com. Welcome back. Let's rejoin the conversation right here on the Higher Ed Marketer. That's great. So as you as we talk about this idea, and I kind of alluded to it earlier about this idea of making it digestible and whether it's educational, entertaining, tell me a little bit about, I think sometimes as academics, as higher ed marketers, which are influenced heavily by academics, we can make things really complicated. And you kind of indicated that with the, with the cars analogy. Just, you know, tell me what you're, I mean, you're laughing. People can't see that, but you're laughing. Tell me, tell me what you're thinking. Yeah. I mean, we, if one thing we're, we're strong at is overcomplicating simplicity and it's, <laughs> um, and it's, it's just the process of it. I mean, I think there are nuances to it and it gets in the way of progress sometimes because the focus is so much on why it won't work as opposed to how do you make it work? And so really it was a shifting mindset for us, it's like, okay, well, how do we make this simple? So we did an exercise the other day in one of our leadership team retreats was, and it was basically on two sides of the room. We needed to map out all of the big, you know, obstacles that were within our control. What are the challenges that we have as a leadership team? Everything that's within our control. And then we mapped on the other side of the wall, everything that are challenges that are not in our control. And so and then everybody went around the room and did their top five. But what it allowed us to do is we would walk through those on either side of the wall and say, okay, well, if it's in our control, how do we as a group solve it? Because we have absolute control over that. And how do we simplify the process? For those things that are not in our control, it doesn't mean we can't uh, make improvements. We just have to work around it. I mean, there's a, as you know, uh, I was talking about stoic philosophy. There's a concept of, you know, the obstacle is the way. Like what we have in front of us uh, what are the challenges often the path forward, but so much we focus on why we can't mm-hmm. move forward there. So it it's a, it's a shifty mindset. Some of it's also giving people the freedom to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. I think in our space and a lot of spaces, the fear of being wrong or something, an error happening, uh, gets in the way of, of innovation and it causes almost a paralysis in that way. And that's been a huge thing for us to work through is when somebody comes to me that, you know, there, there's an extra space in an email. So the salutation was off. I'm like, it happens. Yeah. We send out 11 million emails a year. <laughs> it's going to happen. Um, and, you know, and the question is, okay, well, how do we mitigate the next time? And it's not, I mean, I'm glad you brought it to me, but I don't want that to stifle innovation. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm guessing too, that along with all of that, and you kind of indicated in our pre-interview was the idea that you've really got this passion for creating that new knowledge, creating those new discoveries that come out of those failures that come out of those, you know, those opportunities to, you know, figure out what we can control and what we have to work around. You know, tell me about that. I mean, you've got some passion around that, I think. I I do. And and really it is, I think where I found most of the discoveries happen is hopefully kind of giving people that space 
to bring new ideas to the table. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not an expert in everything in marketing communications. I mean, I'm not your, I, I don't understand UX, proper UX for a website the way that somebody who's an expert in that field, if it's sure. social media strategy. But being able to admit that and to be open and to allow people the space to bring new ideas to the table has been critical. And again, sometimes the hastiness of everything going on um, has been a, a challenge for that. But I have learned so much from the team by right. just being able to step back and sometimes not even reviewing something that goes out, removing myself as the bottleneck in the review process to speed the process up. And so, like I said, I don't need to sign off on everything. Um, if it comes back and there's a problem, I'll take the blame for it. Sure. If it's great, we'll give you the credit for it. Like that's, but we'll learn from those things. I think, I think as leaders in this area, giving people the space to do that is critically important for innovation. That's mm-hmm. great. That's great. Love that Cutler. During the conversation about content, you naturally touched on channels. So would like to talk about not only the content, but where these conversations are taking place. We like to talk about the watering holes. I'm sure that you are as deliberate about the channels and where these conversations are taking place as you are with the content. Yeah. I mean, I mean, so with external audiences, I mean, we're, we're leveraging the same channels for everybody else is. And we're, you know, do we do it great? I mean, we're, we're still trying to figure it out. I and mean, we still, we're heavy print still. Uh, email, we're heavy email. We're, we're, we're Salesforce marketing cloud now. And so we're leaning heavily into the automation and journeys in a way we haven't done before. Um, we, you know, we try multiple digital channels. We kind ha- we have not leaned into TikTok yet. And I, the, the, the thought around it has been, I don't want to just do it and not have a strategy behind it yet. Right. Um, you know, and it's constantly changing. And I think that's been the hardest thing. I mean, higher ed is still a very traditional space in this sector. And, I, you know, digital strategy is oftentimes seen as just sending out more emails or some slightly different segmentation in emails or subject sure. line testing. That's that's 10 years old strategy. Um, and so I think we're trying to figure out how to truly evolve that more um, and, and overlay those things. And again, it's, we have underinvested in many ways into the data side of things. You know, what is our proper data cleansing process? Do we have the most up-to-date email addresses? Do we have the most up-to-date employment information? Can we, are we reaching out to them in the right channels? If I've got five, you know, four or five email addresses in the system and I'm always sending it to a bellsouth.net email, it's probably wrong. And I've got a Gmail in there as well. So have we cycled through and tested those things out in different ways? Um, I think those are those are growth areas for all of us. Um, and you know, every day I turn around, there's something new. There's a new strategy out there. Um, I mean, you hit our site, we're probably not going to retarget you, um, which is a, a loss in a lot of ways. We're we're, tr- we're trying to get there, but we're, the Emory's web pages are on uh, multiple content management systems. Mm-hmm. So we're over here on Drupal, while the central page is on Cascade. It's hard to kind of cross pollinate and every school's on a different one too. Yeah. I would only imagine that that gets to be pretty challenging. 
um, and, and, and be able to do that. So when, when you look at your, I mean, partly we go back to what we talked about with the personas, personas can also start to identify where those watering holes are. Yeah. And I know that, you know, there's going to be some natural watering holes with homecoming and, and events that you have in cities and things like that. But I think also, um, I think many times higher ed marketers, we, we miss the opportunity to really look at those other places that are unique to your school or your audience that can become those unique, you know, watering holes that might not be for everyone. And you, you kind of referred to earlier the, you know, fact that you've got the CDC in your backyard and there's, there's other things that are unique to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that you've got some, some watering holes that you've discovered for Emory that, you know, if you were to leave Emory and go to another university might not apply. I mean, what are some of those things that, that are like that, that, that you could kind of, you know, have share with everybody that maybe they can start to look at their environment differently to kind of see where they, they might be able to go. Yeah, I mean, we've we've had this conversation quite a bit is around what what pulls people together here. I mean, we don't you're right. We don't have athletics in the same way. Mm-hmm. We do have an incredible athletics program, but it's not something that that pulls folks in. Uh, we do have homecoming. We had a reposition homecoming reunions, and, and it is for us. It is more. It's because we don't have a central kind of football game. We're all round right. around. So we did a food and music festival because that's kind of this essence of Atlanta a little bit is people talk about the music scene and the food scene here. So we kind of we really acknowledge the depth of who we are and what that experience was like here. When students go out, there's not I mean, I went to UNC Chapel Hill. There's Franklin Street. You could just walk over there. And that was where everything happened here. It's not the same way. You're getting in a car. You're going to Buckhead. You're going to Midtown. You're going to the Highlands. And so oftentimes when folks come back, we recreate those experiences. Mm. We, we think about that area. One thing we've also found that is that people want and what brings them together is access to unique experiences. Mm. You know, I was up in New York, we have a producer, uh, a Broadway producer. So uh, he organized a program there that gave, you know, Emory alums access to kind of stay after and talk to the director of the play. And, it's one of those things that people like that there there's a unique element yeah. to this creativity side they like access to researchers or financial experts and so how do you cultivate those whether it is in person or virtually or you highlight those in communication that for us seems to be those are our stars those are kind of the things the hooks for folks that get them excited when they're coming together. Yeah, that's that's cool. And I'm guessing that when they come together, whether it's in person or virtually or around an event, even a virtual event like Giving Day, that makes a big difference and allows them to kind of get engaged and, and, and to kind of start to engage that two-way yeah. conversation. Tell yeah. me a little bit about that. I mean, we talked a little bit earlier about Giving Day, and I know you kind of have taken a, a different approach to that. Tell me a little bit about that, that, that thought and the change and and the result that you've seen. Yeah, we, so we've gone from one kind of fairly standard giving day. We've, we've modified it a little bit more and we actually added it at two. So we did a giving week here in the fall, basically around 2036 was, which is our campaign. Um, and one more focused on, on kind of departments and programs, because what you find here is that class year is not really the identifier that people come back to. Right. It's, they were in the department of biology or English or business that really they connect back or it's Greek life or athletics. Yeah, it's affinity groups that they talk, they connect it, with. 
And, you know, we try, like we want the class of 99 to be really connected, but they're not necessarily. And I think for us to acknowledge that, so we've leveraged a little bit of these natural affinity groups as we thought about how we build out those programs. Um, also, and, you know, we leverage gamification within giving days and many of them do It's like, how do you have challenges and matches? So people feel that there's other people who are giving, who are, are excited around this. I mean, the, it's you know, the kind of the concept of, uh, um, like audience identification for like, I want to see myself in, uh, the marketing materials. I want to see myself and those who are already giving or, social proofing that if other people are doing it, then I'm willing to do this as right. well. So we believe heavily into those things. Um, we've also, everything we do, we leverage merch in a lot. So like I, every chance I have to give somebody a t-shirt, a hat, a tumbler, something Emory, I, I go for it. And people are like, well, why are we giving away so much stuff? It's marketing. Mm -hmm. It is somebody's women. I'm wearing an you know, Emory shirt right now. I want to see that. I want to. I was. I want to walk down the street in New York or Atlanta, Des Moines, Iowa, and see somebody wearing Emory gear, because it means they. I mean, they consciously put something on. I mean, Troy's got Ohio State on. Like that conscious decision to wear, right? To have a cover, it makes you think about it in a different way. And I think it's kind of an underutilized. I mean, place like Emory. It's. I walk. I always joke. I walk around campus and I see. Uh, gear from other schools more than I see Emory. <laughs> yeah. it me. It's one of those things. So at homecoming this year, we had, you know, almost 7,000 people sign up for homecoming. We gave out, you know, 5,000 shirts and I flew out the next day and I see people wearing them in the airport. Yeah. It's exactly. I'm just curious. What's the most uh, sought after merch that you've had? One of our, it's not really a mascot, but there's Dooley here. So Dooley's the skeleton. Um, figure that is really known to undergraduates and it's a, it's so unique to me and I don't call it a mask I don't really know even what to call it but it's one of the most identifiable things about Emory swoop is our mascot mm -hmm. but really is, is focused a lot on an athletic side I mean there's some of it that is there but when you talk to undergrads if they see uh Dooley and Dooley merchandise because it's really hard to get there's not much in the store they love it Besides that, it's always hats. Like we'll go, we can give hats away left or right because you don't have to worry about sizes. Everybody loves them. That's cool. Thank you. Yeah. That's great. I know for me and a lot of people, and I won't make you say this, Cutler, but when you think of Emory and its brand, you think of it being as one of the elite colleges in the South. And I'm sure that there's a standard that you have to live up to through messaging and from the alumni advancement chair if you can share some of the deliberateness or you know the differences that you can make and building that brand from the messaging that you do yeah well and, and only one correction of that it's, it's one of the the most elite universities period um regardless of region um <laughs> i stand corrected i stand corrected as a northerner when i think of the south yes it's, it's a great question. I mean, for us, it's how we tell those stories. I mean, I think Emory is sometimes humble to a fault. I always said Emory, we're doers. We, we 
see a problem, we go solve it and we move on to the next problem. We don't talk about it. We've just, we've, we're, we're on to the next thing. You know, when COVID happened, like our team leaned in and tried to find the best solutions possible and create vaccines. And, you know, I mean, Emory Hospital had uh, basically the, the lowest mortality rate of anybody who went on um, an ICU or on a respirator who was COVID positive. And so those are the things that we just do. I mean, with Ebola patients, we're the first university hospital to accept Ebola patients when they came in. And so my job is to help tell those stories. And, you know, we're not, folks are not going to be necessarily proud of um, certain elements because we don't have, again, they're not going to rally around a Final Four play or national championship. We'll rally around uh, transformative research. And I think true impact on on the world. I mean, I think it is that global impact is something I've got to, my my responsibility, the, the weight that we carry as a marketing communications team, and with my partners in central communications and marketing as well, is to make sure uh, we have identified what those stories are, that we tell them in a way that reaches the widest audience possible, um, and continues to engage people and look at us in in a different way. I mean, it's great. I mean, I, it's not the researchers. I want them to keep doing that. I want the students to keep pushing the envelope and our alumni to keep doing great things. My responsibility, our responsibility is to, through brand elevation, is, is that impact. I mean, we talked last time a little bit, said um, Michael Elliott is our former dean of Emory College. He's now president at Amherst. And he said this one time and it's always resonating. I was like two weeks on the job. He said, our responsibility is to create and share knowledge. It is that is at the core of what we do, um, and we have that responsibility. If we're not sharing the knowledge to the broadest audience possible, we are delinquent in our mission. And I think that is ultimately what we we should continue to do. That's great. I just came back from a conference of marketers, and the number one topic that was discussed was DEI, and wanted mm-hmm. to know. Uh, if you could share what types of conversations, uh, what you're doing at Emory in regard to DEI. It is a focus of ours here. It, and it is a, it is not something that is an, an in-destination. It is a constant journey. It's something you constantly have to work at. Uh, I, I think you can't be a proficient marketer or communicator unless you focus on DEI. Because it is about seeing people for who they are, understanding the journeys they have been on, the obstacles that are in their way, how you communicate, how, you be, how you're relevant. And so it means listening more than talking. And I think too long, and, and that's been the challenge of the work that we do is that we talk a lot. I mean, our job is to talk, is to send out messages. And oftentimes we don't hear or pause. And personas are, are one way to do this, to think through this, to think through experiences. Uh, I was talking to um, some colleagues at an institution that's an international institution. And they have students and faculty from a hundred different countries. And they were talking about the unique challenges of how they think about uh, marketing communications. And, and I said, and they asked me what I would do. I said, well, 
you have to go engage with those communities. You have to be open to that feedback. You have to challenge your own assumptions. You constantly have to work. There's trainings, but it is being empathetic at your core. Not to go too far back, but I started my workout uh, at, a, at a rape crisis center. I worked on the crisis line. I did community education work. It's kind of how I got into the nonprofit sector. And large part of that training was to listen. It's, we talked about the concept of active listening. The person in front of you, how do you understand that person in front of you? Uh, and then you have to do it at scale too. And so I think those are the, the core elements that come to DEI. You, you're going to be uncomfortable. That's okay. I mean, it is, there are uncomfortable conversations, but, and you should have those. If you want to be able to build a diverse team, it is a, it is a conscious effort. It's something you have to work at. You can't be passive and wait for it to come. So I think it's, we're never going to fully be there, but it is something we will always strive for. Yeah. That's such a great reminder, Cutler. I think that um, you know, it gets to the point of empathy, and I've often told people many, many times. I mean, I, I honestly think that um, DEI has been, you know, taken hostage by politics sometimes. And honestly, when you get back to it, and I, I made this comment in a in a webinar I did recently, is that it's really about doing the right thing. It's 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 really more about golden rule type of thinking than it is anything specific to DEI. And I. I'm really glad to hear you say that and, and talk about it from an empathy standpoint, because I think that's where it needs to start. And, um, and I, I really appreciate you sharing that. Thanks. We close each show by asking our guests that gives us so much during the show. If there was one last piece of advice that you could give that someone could implement immediately, what would that piece of advice be? Again, I think I'll go back to what I, I said earlier. It, it is giving yourself the space and the time and uh, to really slow down and to really pause for a second and try to understand who you're talking to. And and really, and when I say understand, it is not just you know all the standard things. It's who they are, what do they experience on a daily basis. Um, trying to how do I figure out how to meet them where they're at uh, and challenge your assumptions around that and. Mm -hmm. Giving yourself the space to do that is critically important. We, we talk here a lot uh, kind of around, um, we have James Rapers, our, our head of um, kind of health and wellness services on campus. Um, and he talks about the, the, the goal is not happiness. The goal is to acknowledge you're human. And we've taken it a step far. The goal is to acknowledge the other person's human as well. And so understanding yourself and understanding the other person, uh, it will, it'll make you stronger in the field. And it'll make you understand your audience better. It'll make you a better marketer, communicator, leader, colleague, and everything. Thank you, Cutler. And thank you for your time that you've given us, the wisdom, the energy that you gave us that wisdom through. I'm sure there are people that were not familiar with you but would love to reach out to you. For them, what would be the best way for them to reach out and connect with you? I love connecting with people in the field. So whether it's LinkedIn or email, I'm fairly easy to get in touch with. Um, I may not always respond right away, so don't <laughs> hesitate to ping me again just because of uh, schedules. But that's actually the best part about this. So mm. feel free to shoot me a, a message via LinkedIn or email. I'll be there. My email is easy. It's just cutler.andrews at emory.edu. There's not many of us out there. Thank you. 
Bart, do you have any closing comments you would like to make before we close our show? Yeah, this has been an incredible episode. I mean, we've talked about everything from content to uh, a lot of emotional intelligence, uh, you know, through through empathy and through patience, you know, slowing down to speed up, those types of things. And then one thing I really appreciated that, that Cutler said, and I, I'm going to focus on this for just a moment because I... You know, I work with a lot of faith-based schools. A lot of schools are similar to what Cutler is talking about, where we're humble to a fault sometimes. And I think that um, while that is a very um, admirable trait, sometimes when we need to tell the stories and move the move the bricks for our university, uh, we need to actually talk about it in a greater context. And so, you know, I was talking to a faith-based school the other day, and we talked about it in the context of kingdom work type of thing, and that's more of a religious area and angle to it. But I think from from Cutler's standpoint, whether you're at a state school or other place, talk about the impact that it has for your university, for those alumni that are proud of their uh, that and actually gain some worth from their degree. Um, there, there's some some worth in that for them, and so being being able to kind of move beyond maybe that personal humility to more of that greater good for the for the for the university or the college is a little bit something that we need to look at, especially when we tell the stories. When we talk about how those stories might impact them, you know, I've loved the story about Dooley and the fact that there's a there's a, a sub story within Emory. Finding those and being able to tell those, I think, are so important. And I I really liked, you know, there were three points that that uh, Cutler made there at the end was identifying the stories, telling them uh, through the appropriate channels with empathy, and then also keeping them evergreen so that they can kind of continue on and making that impact. And I guess that's the overall idea: is that let's be able to tell our stories to make a greater impact than just what we might feel ourselves. So thanks again, Cutler. This has been such a good conversation. My pleasure. Bart Cutler, thank you both. The Higher Ed Marketer podcast is sponsored by Kaler Solutions, an education, marketing, and branding agency. Also by Ring Digital, a marketing firm that specializes in boosting lifting yield for higher ed with unique, targeted, and accurate digital marketing campaigns. And by Think Patented, a marketing execution company combining direct mail and unique digital stacks for higher ed outreach success. On behalf of Bart Kaler, my co-host, I'm Troy Singer. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to The Higher Ed Marketer. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening with Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to leave a quick rating of the show. Simply tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Until next time.